Welcome to the Grace Capital City Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this week's message. so blessed um, just with worshipers in this house honestly I, I've said it a thousand times since we launched this church and I'm sure I'll say it a thousand more times I am so glad that we don't just have worship leaders who sing songs because I if I want to sing songs I can turn on the radio right we have we have daughters and sons who lead us into the presence and that's really what it's all about. And uh, I'm just so glad for our worship team. And they come early, they rehearse. We have production people who just sacrifice their time and give of their talent. Can we just give it up for them one more time? I'm so glad for them. Thank you, our worship team. We are um, continuing in this series called The Marks of a Disciple. And if you're just jumping in with us, this is something we kicked off a few weeks into January where we are discovering and exploring what it means to be a disciple. How can we be marked as disciples of Jesus? Because we don't want to be content to be believers of Jesus. We want to be followers, right? It's a great step to believe. But what does it mean for us that just as Jesus went to the, the fishermen and, and the tax collectors and he called these people to himself, that still he calls us to himself today? Um, and so we're looking at all these different marks of what it means. So we kicked off first week talking about transformation, that, that to be a disciple means we have to be open. We got to be ready to be changed, that God is inviting us into that process. We talked about uh, being spirit-led, spirit-empowered, disciples of people. John chapter 3 it says, those who are born of the Spirit are blown by the wind of the Spirit. Right? We want to be blown by the winds of the Spirit. And then last Sunday... I drew some amazing pictures of animals, if you remember that. And that was pretty much it, right? And, uh, um, but, but I did draw pictures of animals. But we talked about being theologically grounded, grounded, building our life on truth, that we want to be wise builders, building on a rock that cannot be shaken. So that's where we've been so far. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the fact that disciples of Jesus are sacrificially generous. I see. Uh, and uh, I want to give a warning up front, and that is that we need to put on the big boy and the big girl pants tonight, because I am going to be talking about money, all right? So just get ready for it. Um, and I, I do think it's, it's a funny perception when it comes to money and the church and preachers, because I do think there is this kind of like wider cultural perception that churches and pastors love talking about money. And, and on one level, I, I do get it. Like, you don't have to Google long to find the, the story about the pastor who's living in lavish luxury, who is raising money for their next private jet or is embezzling church funds. Like, I, I get it. It's low-hanging fruit. It's pretty easy to find that stuff. But I, I'll be honest with you. I've been in pastoral ministry now over 20 years. I'm connected to hundreds and hundreds of pastors really around the world. And I have yet to really find a pastor, including myself, who loves talking about money. <laughs> and the truth is, and this is just confession here, the reason we hate talking about it is because of all the reasons the world thinks we love talking about it. And that is that it's awkward, right? I've sat in 
the services with the, the borderline manipulative offering talk where you're like, man, am I being like dragged into something right now? Like I, I have been in the sessions and had pastors and preachers that I looked up to who, who just were immoral with money, right? The reason that a lot of pastors are like, man, I just wish we didn't have to talk about it is because quite simply, there are plenty of examples that we have of where it has been misused. And so I've, I've often had this thought that wouldn't it be amazing if God would just send like one really wealthy benefactor? See you guys. Um, <laughs> I, I will say on, in their defense, um, these guys were just walking past and they like the whole European Union was just here. So one from Spain, one from Italy, one from Germany, one from Portugal. And they were just walking past and like just came in. So I'm like, I'm just glad you came for worship, seriously. <laughs> so I seriously, so glad. I mean, I'm not being facetious here at all. I'm really glad. Um, but so, so I've, I've had this thought, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if God would just send us like this one really generous millionaire, maybe two generous millionaires, and, and, and they would just write a check at the beginning of the financial year and be like, okay, what's it going to take? Cover the bills, any mission projects, what's the vision? Okay, how much is it going to take? And they just write a check for everything. And then I never have to talk about money again. And we can avoid all the awkward conversations and no one feels, no one could even accuse the church of being manipulative ever because it's all just paid for and it's all taken care of. I, I have to be honest, I, I've, I've thought like, maybe, you know, God, you could do that, right? Let's just do it. So anyway, a, a few months ago, we were in this, um, this I guess, a coaching session. It was, it was some of the staff, some of the leadership council, and it was with these, this group of people who are teaching churches like good financial practices, good financial stewardship. And it was online, no grace churches in Atlanta watching, but we were watching here in DC. And the presenters of the class brought up that exact hypothetical, okay? They literally said, ask the question, okay, if you had some wealthy benefactor in your church who just like, hey, what's, what's the annual budget for the whole year? How much do you need? I'll write a check right now and drop it in the offering plate. He said, if you had that, would you ever talk on money? Would you ever disciple people around money? Would you ever challenge people around money? If, if it was just all taken care of, what would your response in the church be to money? And I have to tell you, I was so convicted by that question. And it, it, it kind of brought me back again, like reevaluating, like why we even talk about this and why this actually matters in our lives and in, in our church. And, and it really kind of confronted me with the question that when we talk about money, are we, are we about making budget or are we about making disciples? Because the truth is, if we're really about making disciples, then it doesn't matter if we have $10 or we have $10 million. It doesn't matter if we have, you know, a, a wealthy benefactor who believes in the church and, and covers everything, or we have a room full of amazing, generous-hearted people with maybe not as much in their bank account, right? That's really not the question. That's really not the issue. The issue is, are we as a people committed to aligning ourselves, every area of our lives with God's vision and best for us? 
Are we aligning ourselves with God's plan for our relationships and our jobs and our intimacy and our thought life and, and, our, and, and everything we do, including our finances? Because the truth is, if we're serious about being disciples, we have to be serious about being disciples in our finances as well. Right? Friends, we, we talk about money because Jesus talked about money. And Jesus realized and reminded us again and again and again that to be a disciple is to be a disciple in every area of your life. Jesus called people to come and die. <laughs> this was not a light invitation to follow Jesus. This was not a, hey, here's 85% of my life, but here's some things I don't want to talk about because they're awkward and they're weird and, and I don't really, you know, I'm not, not comfortable with this conversation. No, Jesus said, put it all on the table. Put every part of it on the table. And that's going to be hard for each of us in different areas, in different ways. For some of you, it might be finances. For some of you, it might be something completely different, right? But we have to be, if we're serious about making disciples, then we are serious about discipleship in our resources and our treasure as well. Can we just get an amen to that? Okay. So I was thinking back, um, March, March 2020, the pandemic hit. You remember that? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, and um, like most churches, we went online for uh, six months or so. And, you know, I, I think the first few weeks, it was almost like a bit of a novelty. Um, Richard was gracious enough. He has a studio. And so he was like, well, you guys can come and broadcast from my studio. And so we set up some cameras and we had like chat rooms and breakouts. And the first few weeks, I think we were like, this is kind of cool. It's a different way to do church. And some people were like, this is the future of the church. And now the metaverse is the future of the church. Apparently they're doing baptisms with your goggles on. But uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but at first it was like, okay, it's a novelty. And then very quickly as the weeks went on, we began to notice some things. First of all, we began to notice that this pandemic wasn't going to be ending in five or six weeks. <laughs> and we also began to quickly recognize uh, that while the technology, we were grateful for it in the pandemic season that we were in, it, it never was how we were intended as believers to meet. And I began to get stories of people who were really over the months suffering significant trauma from being isolated, like significant mental illness, emotional problems, um, issues within the church, all sorts of stuff just coming up from like, we're just not together, we're meant to be together. And so about six months later, um, I started really kind of pushing our team, like, hey, we have to start gathering. We've got we've to figure out a way to do this. We have to get back in the same room. And we're going to do it as safely as we can, but I think this is really important for us to do. And so we, we did. We, we started moving towards that. And of course, it was masks, which we're still in masks right now. Um, but in those days, I think the, the mandate in D.C. was like 15% of a room's capacity you're allowed to have. So we had RSVPs and tons of social distancing and all this kind of stuff. And so we hadn't met as a church physically for six months. And I remember coming into that first Sunday... And I was, I was really excited about meeting again because I'm a pastor, and so that's the kinds of things I get excited about, right? I was really excited, but I have to be honest, like, I, there was a part of me that was discouraged as well because, you know, you come in, and there's like 20 of us. There's like one person there and one person there, and I think there's someone in the balcony, and there's someone who came in off the street back there. And it's just like, man, Lord, 
I feel like I've just poured my heart <laughs> and just like growing and, and, and pouring into this church and cultivating like what you've called us to do. And, and now it just feels like, are you asking us to do this again? <laughs> and so I went into this season where I was like on my knees before the Lord, and I was asking the Lord, like, is this really, like, are we, like, replanting this church? Like, you, you, taught, you asked me to plant this church. You didn't ask me to plant it twice. <laughs> but are we starting again? And I, and I felt like the Lord gave me a word that I, I journaled. This is back about October 2020. And the, it came in the form of a question. The question was, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And... Because the truth was, as a church, we had, over the years we'd been meeting, we had developed a culture, right? We, we, there was a certain way we worshipped and, and a certain way we pressed in for community and, and justice and prayer and prophecy and faith and all these different elements that God had taught us and that we had followed him into. And I felt like God challenging me to say, in this season, I want you to remember and I want you to re-examine and where it's appropriate, I want you to reteach why you do what you do. And one of those areas I felt really compelled to like re-examine was, was giving, was finances. What do we believe about this? And so I started like journaling everything I believed, everything I had been taught, everything mentors had taught me, revelations I felt like, passages that had meant a lot to me in why we steward our finances in a certain way as followers of Jesus, and it began to shape, and I, and I had this sense that I wanted to create something that would be formational for our church, that would actually shape us in a certain direction. And so we created this thing called the Giving Liturgy, right? And so the Giving Liturgy really is my attempt to articulate everything I felt like God had taught me about stewardship in the kingdom. And we've been saying it. By, I think it was beginning of 2021, I finally like finished what I felt like I wanted to write down. And we've been saying it every Sunday since then, which is the point of liturgies, right? They're supposed to be repetitious, so they form you over time. And we want to be formed into Jesus' likeness. And so I, I say all that to say that as I was thinking about this, this theme of what it means to be sacrificially generous, how do we become sacrificially generous? I, I want to actually use this liturgy as a, as a grid. I, I want to teach on some parts of it. We say it every Sunday. If you've been coming to the church, you know it's been over a year we've been saying it. Um, but it's very rarely that we have to stop and, and think about it. And I feel like there are some specific things um, that I want to highlight tonight and remind us about and, in our journey and the process God is doing us in this, in becoming sacrificially generous people. So we've already said it once tonight. We're going to say it again. Um, we're going to break it up, though. So if we could bring that to the screen, and then what we'll do is we'll, we'll read out part of it, then I'll stop you, and then I just want to give some, some thoughts and some revelation on it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's go. You know it by heart. We come now to our time of giving, a time to worship in action and sacrifice. Teach us to hold with open hands all that you have entrusted to us, for every breath is a gift. Every treasure is a gift, and every resource is a gift given by you. Okay. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. 
Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. There was a, um, a really profound vision that was given to me by a friend named Tony um, when I was in Atlanta pastoring at Grace Midtown. And um, this, this vision was given to me in a season where we felt as a family very planted in Atlanta. We, we loved what we were doing. We loved the church. We loved the community. We had vision for a long time in that city. And we had no idea what was around the corner and that God was going to move us up here. But the, the vision my friend Tony gave me was of me in a worship service and I was at the altar, I was kneeling at the altar and God was like dropping blessings on me and, and gifts and inheritance and all, you can kind of substitute the word. It was just, just dropping favor on me. And, and Tony said that as the gifts were falling, I was like reaching up and, and grabbing them, right? Taking hold of everything God was giving. But he said, you weren't just grabbing it, he said, you were like white knuckle gripping it. And some of it you were like shoving in your pocket and making sure no one could, you couldn't lose these things that God was blessing you with. You were just grabbing everything God was giving you. And it, that, that vision really stuck with me. I, I prayed a lot about it and honestly just felt like God challenging me with this question of, I've put a lot in your hands. I've put a lot in your hands. Are you going to open them up? Are you going to be willing to open them up? And whenever I read the story about the, the rich young man, I'm always reminded of that vision because it's so interesting to me how Jesus never challenges him on a specific amount of money, right? The challenge Jesus gives is not like, hey, you crossed the maximum kingdom threshold of earning that you're allowed. And you're in the red now, and you just need to dial that back a little bit. He does talk about his great wealth, but he doesn't talk about it in the context of a sin. Right? He, the, the challenge that Jesus gives to this rich young man is not about amount. Right? It, it's not about what do you have. The challenge is about how are you holding what you have? How are you holding what you have? Because Jesus is looking at this man, and he's... You know, because he's God, he's, he's, he's cutting through and he's seeing the motives of, of his heart right now. And he's saying, he's saying, the way you are postured, the way you are holding what you have is a stumbling block for you. And it's holding you back. And, and, and it's like you're white knuckle gripping it and you're not able to release. And because of that, you're not walking in freedom. And, and you're not really able to say that I give everything to God because you're just kind of white knuckle gripping this, right? He is identifying a very specific issue in this man. And he's saying the issue is not whether you have a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion dollars. The issue is how are you holding what you have, guys? And this is, this is what we need to recognize when it comes to this open-handed posture, okay? And that is that your level of generosity will never be dictated by the number in your bank account, but by the posture of your hands. The 
The posture of your hands is what dictates your generosity. Great wealth does not equal great generosity. Jesus is real clear about that. You read the story about the widow and the two coins? Great wealth does not equal great generosity. In fact, most of the time, it's the opposite, right? The more you have, the harder it becomes. The, the, the greater the temptation is to accumulate and hoard and, and start justifying, well, I earned this and it's mine, right? You, you change your mindset. And so as disciples of Jesus... We need to start the, the foundational work early where we're saying, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot, it's not about amount, it's about posture of my hands, right? The, the, the liturgy says, teach us to have open hands, hold with open hands all that you have entrusted to us. That might be $1.50 for some of you guys right now. You might have been on your way here thinking like, I'd love to grab a coffee, but it's $2.50 and I've got $1.50. That is what you have right now. Teach me to hold with open hands all that you have entrusted to me. We've got to be asking the Holy Spirit again and again and again to teach us that lesson. What is the posture? How are you holding whatever it is God has given you? So that's the starting point. Let's put the liturgy up again. The next page. Grow in us a generous and thankful spirit a heart that seeks first your kingdom and will not be ruled by the love of much or by the fear of little. Let's hold there. Have you ever, um, have you ever met someone with a generous spirit? I, I, bet there's, I bet there's people right now that you can think of like that. That person has a generous spirit. Like, I think it is one of the most Christ-like characteristics when you encounter it, isn't it? This, this person and you can just tell like they are not beholden to anything there's an open-handedness in their posture you know matthew 10 jesus talks about freely you've been given freely you give right and it's like these people with the generous but they just live that it's like i receive and i give and i bless and i'm not a controller i'm a steward they just living with this open-handed posture um when um when I went to Pakistan in December, I felt like I got to encounter like this generosity of spirit that is sometimes hard to find in, in my own life. Um, and so just to kind of give you guys a little bit of backstory about that, I've been saying for a few weeks, I'd tell you a bit about that trip. Just before Christmas, I went to Pakistan for a week. My brother lives in Pakistan, so I was going there for his wedding. And Pakistan is not a convenient country to visit, okay? I'll just go ahead and say that, especially in the height of a pandemic. Um, I had like five days of visa issues before I got there. I, I got to know the Pakistani embassy really, really well. They were really tired of me before they finally gave me a visa. I got delayed at Doha airport for 18 hours. So if you ever find yourself in Doha, hit me up. I can give you some tips of which food court is the best. Um, and I finally made it to Lahore, Pakistan, which is where my brother lives, an hour before the wedding. So talk about cutting it fine. And um, it, fortunately, it's a, it, it's a, it was an Islamic wedding, so it was like multiple days of celebration. Um, and so I, I get into Pakistan, and I don't know if, if you've traveled there, but you may know a little bit about the country. Pakistan is an Islamic country. It is Islamic country. Like, it is the Islamic nation of Pakistan, which means, essentially, you are Muslim unless you're not Muslim. 
So there are, there are Christians in Pakistan, um, a minority group of Christians. Um, I've I, I got to be careful when I say this. I, I wouldn't say from what I understand that they are overtly persecuted, but they are certainly marginalized in Pakistan. You can tell being in social settings who the Muslim people are and who the Christians are very, very quickly. And so one of my, like... Um, one of the things I wanted to do going to Pakistan was I get a chance to meet with Christians. Like I wanted to meet with some of the people of Jesus in Pakistan. And so I was able to, through a few different kind of avenues, meet with some. And then I got invited to preach at this, at this church in downtown Lahore. And I want to show you guys just a real short video of this. It's just 50 seconds. This is my first time ever preaching with a translator, which was an experience in itself. But Richard, can we roll that? And I pray that you would be satisfied in Jesus. And I pray that you would know the love of Jesus. And that when the storms of the life, of this life, are raging around you, you would know that Jesus is at peace and you too can be at peace with Jesus. I mean, the translator may have been preaching a completely different sermon for all I know. <laughs> I have no way to cross-check that. If anyone speaks Pakistani, come talk to me afterwards. would love to uh, get some, some confirmation of that. But th this church was in um, downtown Lahore, and it was part of their Advent build-up. So they had services every night leading up to Christmas. And they were supposed to have this service out in this big courtyard. They were going to do this nativity and have preachers and stuff. And they actually, the day before, got word from the Pakistani military that they had security threats, so we had to move inside. Um, but coming into that space, you, you, you are immediately confronted by the level of poverty, right? Just being around the city, being in the church. And, and I've traveled like a decent amount around the world. So I've, I've seen poor places. And, and there were parts of Lahore that I was like, I haven't been in places like where the poverty is as stark as this. But I, I'll tell you what, the, the generosity of spirit that accompanies that level of poverty was just breathtaking. Like when I got there, they are like, there's like food and water. They, they had these guys bring out a special couch for me on the side of the room. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really fine to stand, but thank you so much. After the service, they wanted to pay me for preaching. Very awkward conversation because I'm like, I don't want to offend you uh, by re refusing this money, but I also, like, um, I don't want to offend you, but I cannot in good conscience take money from you. And so I ended up doing a workaround where I, like, received their gift but was able to give them a gift back as well. So it was, like, you know, reciprocal. Um, but the generosity of spirit was just, was just breathtaking. And it just reminded me again and again that generosity of spirit has nothing to do with bank account, does it? Like these people have almost nothing. And they're just like, like, yes, we want to bless. We are stewards. We are holding with open hands what you've given to us. We want to bless you. And I was just challenged in my own heart again. Like, like where am I gripping? Where am I holding? Where am I not actually willing to release and steward rather than control what God has given me.
Grow in us. That's what we say in this liturgy. Guys, we say it every week. Grow in us a generous spirit. I, I pray that that would be something that, that permeates our church, that we would be known as a generous people, not just even in finances, but just with our hearts and our hospitality and our lives and our openness and our welcome. We would be a generous people. Isn't, isn't that a witness to the city of the goodness of Jesus, right? Grow it in us, Holy Spirit. Grow it in us. And put the liturgy back up. Can't remember where we got up to now. Oh, yeah, good. Thank you. Exactly. We do not give to receive, and yet as we give, we receive much. We do not give to be blessed, and yet as we give, we are deeply blessed. Go to the next page. We give as a gracious and worshipful response to all we have already been given. We give as an act of discipleship, a spiritual discipline to grow us in Christ's likeness. We give to fuel the mission and mandate of God's church. May our giving shape us, sanctify us, change us, and make us every day more like Jesus. Amen. When I was uh, starting out in ministry, I, I started meeting with a new mentor. And I was really excited that this guy agreed to mentor me. He was, wasn't part of the church I was starting to work at, but he was a preacher, a worship leader, which was kind of like where I found myself. He's about 10 years older than me, someone I really respected and looked up to, and I asked him to mentor me, and he agreed. And so I remember showing up, very first meeting, and it was like classic coffee shop discipleship. You know what I'm talking about? We met at the coffee shop, we got our lattes, we sat down, we exchanged pleasantries. And, uh, and, and I got my Bible, I got my journal, and I got my expectation. I'm like, like, like just, just wow me with the spiritual bombs, right? Just give me all the knowledge, all the truth, just blow me away. Keep it tweetable, 160 characters or less, right? Not that Twitter existed back then, but if it did. Um, I'm like, just, just give me all the spiritual knowledge. I'm so hungry, right? And so we sit down and we're talking and he literally, first question, he looks at me and he says, do you tithe? I'm like, what? Like, you're supposed to be like wowing me with spiritual knowledge. Like, just blow me away. Like, get, why are we, like, you can, like, we're here for discipleship and accountability. You can ask me about pornography, but do not ask me about the tithe, right? Right? Like, like, like do you tithe? Like, I wouldn't, I don't even go to your church. Like, why would I, why are we talking about the tithe? And he was just kind of like quiet and just sat there. He's like, do you tithe? He's like, and he started talking about this passage in Matthew 6 where, where Jesus talks about treasure and heart, treasure and heart. And Jesus says, you're probably familiar, he says, well, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So you can tell me where your heart is, but it's, I bet I'm, I prefer to look at where your treasure is because that will tell me. And he said, I want to know where your heart is. I want to know what areas, of, if I'm going to disciple you, I want to know what areas of breakthrough you need. Like, let's just get straight to the real stuff to you tithe. <laughs> and um, the truth is, I, I didn't tithe. I I'd never tithed. I'd never given. I didn't earn basically any money so I was like my tithe would be so insignificant <laughs> do you realize <laughs> this is not going to change the course of kingdom history if I put my 25 cents in the bucket 
But I'll say this, from, from, that, from that day until this day, I have always tithed on my income. And there have been seasons in my life where that has felt really easy. And there have been seasons in my life where that has felt really, really hard. But I can look back now on it and I can see what my mentor was challenging me with and why he was trying to instill this in me when I had $2.50 to my name, right? And I think what he was really challenging me with and what, what we fall into sometimes is, is we, we think that a tithe is something that flows out of generosity. So we, we talked about a generous spirit, right? Growing us a generous spirit. And so we have this idea that like, okay, if I become generous and I grow in generosity, then I'm going to have this well of generosity and the overflow of that will be my tithe, right? And then, then I will give because I will, God just grow me in generosity. So the issue, God, is you need to make me more generous. Then I'm going to start tithing and it's all going to be, going to be good and it's going to overflow, right? We, we have this idea that the tithe is like this overflow and it comes out of generosity. But I'll tell you what, in what, 20 years or so of, of tithing, I can tell you my experience is actually the exact opposite of that. The, the tithe doesn't come from a generous spirit. The tithe cultivates a generous spirit. The tithe is part of what God uses to grow in us a generous spirit, right? My experience tithing is when that money comes out of my bank account every month, and I see it go, right? And, and I have that little thought of, well, there's a lot of other things I could have done with that money. A lot of ways I could use it. I could get real creative with that money. I can be honest with you, in that moment, I do not feel especially generous. I do not have this overflow well of, wow, and look at this just flood of generosity that is coming out of me. Like, no, no, that's not actually how it works at all. It is not a generous spirit overflow but I will say this when I see that happen and I and I step into that disciplined tithe I'm reminded to open up my hands again right and I'm reminded that there is still fear of little in me and there is still love of much in me and there is still pride in my own accomplishments and there's still this like kind of self-righteous sense of self-sufficiency that God is kind of breaking down in me, right? And, and, and I see it come out and it brings the pain to the surface a little bit, just in a good way. And I can be assured that I am becoming more like Jesus in that process. Guys, I just challenge you on this. And even if it's not to this church, right? I mean, if you're part of this church, I pray it would be. But if you're part of a different church or there's something else that you're giving to, like, I want to challenge you to tithe. I want to challenge you to let a tithe be part of your spiritual discipline, not because God needs you to give it, not because the church needs you to give it, but because you need you to give it, right? This is what it means to be sanctified. The word sanctify means to be made holy, means to be set apart, right? We want to be set apart in our love of money, in our need for money, in our stewardship of what God has given us. God is sanctifying us in the spiritual disciplines that actually cause us a little bit of pain sometimes. He's leading us into, this is why Jesus talks about it. I think there's this idea that the tithe is Old Testament. Read Matthew 23. 
Jesus says, right? He says, says, practice mercy, practice justice, practice faithfulness, but actually don't forget to tithe. (laughs) It's in the Gospels. It will sanctify you. A life look back where you say, I have stewarded my money. Disciplined, systematic tithing will change how you view what is yours, what is God's, and where your help comes from in the end. Okay? Challenge you in that. Challenge you to step into that. We want to be disciples who are, who are sacrificially generous. And it begins with those small, small steps. We, we want to give something that costs us something. That's what it means to be sacrificial. It means you've actually sacrificed something. There are days when I go and drop some clothes off in the, in the Goodwill bin. Guys, that's not sacrificial generosity, okay? That's called decluttering. That's called space management, okay? Sometimes we're like, well, I gave my old pants away. Like, yeah, well done. <laughs> what's, the, what's the Japanese woman on Netflix that tells you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, she would, well done. If it does not bring you joy, you know. But, but sacrificial generosity, it's, it's a sacrifice because it hurts a little. It has to hurt. If it's going to make you like Jesus, it has to hurt a little bit. We need to be wise stewards, but an open-handed grip means I steward, I am wise, I am not reckless, but I am not in control. It is not mine. Everything God has given me, every breath is a gift. You are not guaranteed the next breath. You are guaranteed nothing. And Jesus, by his graciousness, invites us in and says, I will entrust to you. And so we say, as a church, again and again, teach us to hold with open hands all that you have entrusted to us. For every breath is a gift, every resource is a gift, and every treasure is a gift given by you. This is the challenge for us tonight. Do you have your uh, your communion cup? Can you throw me that? Jason and David, why don't you guys come up? You know, when we when when we celebrate communion as as Jesus instructed us to do, one one of the things that we reflect on. Oh, just, yeah, if anyone, does anyone need communion? I'm sorry, I should have asked. We got a couple over here and over here. Just leave your hand up until you have a cup in your hand so they know to get to you. Great. And uh, we got one, at least one in the balcony as well. We could make sure we get some up there. You take care of the balcony for me, Patrick? Thanks, bro. They're coming. One over here. Patrick, right there, right there. All right, we good. Anyone, I know we got one in the back. There's some coming to the balcony. Okay, we good. The, um, the, the generosity of Jesus on display. That's, that's what I was just reflecting on this week. That, that communion is a, is a reflection on the generosity of Jesus, right? This is Jesus held back nothing. We see it in the incarnation. Stepping out of glory. Taking on the frailty of humanity this is this is god right perfect communion it says no no i'm going to step aside from that into my creation 
the generosity of Jesus. We see the, the generosity of Jesus in, in the cross, of course. We see the generosity of Jesus in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We see the generosity of Jesus in the invitation for us to, to follow him and to be born again and have a new life in him. So as we reflect on communion, we reflect on the sacrificial generosity of Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You take just the wafer right now. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Just stand with me for one moment. Jesus, you are you are worthy. You are holy. You are generous. You have, you have poured out without measure just the blessing and the life and the goodness on each of us, Lord Jesus. And as we have taken the bread and the cup and just that physical taste in our mouths, Lord Jesus, we are reminded of your generosity. And we're reminded of our own rebellion, our own sin, our own pride. I, I feel the, the, the good pain of sanctification. Holy Spirit, keep making us like you. Come against our stubbornness. Come against our pride, Lord Jesus. Come against our self-sufficiency. lives open-handed, a generous spirit, a generous people, as a witness to the world, a witness to this city that we serve a generous God. Worthy is your name, Jesus. Worthy is your name. We're just going to, just for a minute or two, we're just going to sing that. Just sing it over our own hearts. Confess you are worthy, Jesus. Come on, David, just lead us in that.